the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus gives us his first public sermon. He uses Isaiah chapter 61 as a foundation. Join us as we take a look at Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4 together next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. We're in the middle of a little mini-series simply entitled The Ministry of Jesus Christ. And today we're focusing on Luke chapter 4 as well as Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus preaches out of Isaiah, so much so that people want to kill him afterwards. And we're understanding why as we continue with our series, The Ministry of Jesus Christ. Join us as we examine God's Word together that we might be mutually encouraged in Christ. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner now with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. The Lord of Jesus Christ came to set free the slaves. And to illustrate that, you have this deliverance in Leviticus 25 from slavery every 50th year. What a great illustration. Well, there's another provision, and that is the cancellation of debts. You know, the more I study Scripture, the better the ancient Hebrew culture sounds to me, doesn't it to you? Every 50th year, just like every seventh, if you had a debt, a specific kind of debt with someone, that debt had to be canceled, and you were no longer obligated to, to pay. Now, the kind of debt it has reference to is charitable loans. One of God's commands to maintain solidarity and unity among the people of God, to actually assist God's pe- uh, people in their compassion, was a law requiring charitable, non-interest loans among the people of Israel. Rather than just giving people money, although sometimes if people were in serious, serious financial difficulty, of course, you would just give them the money if you could afford it. But there were many times when brothers might be in serious financial straits and just need a little assistance. So it was the duty of Christians to give their fellow brothers and sisters non-interest-bearing charitable loans for a six-year period. And then on the seventh year, it was to be canceled. Now, what was a charitable loan? I'm not going to go into this any debt in any depth, but it was possible to charge interest on certain loans in Israel, business loans with non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. But you could not benefit, never benefit from the difficulties of another person. If someone was in need of a loan because they had a real problem in their life, such as in our day with some of us with medical bills, you're required by God to give them a non-interest-bearing loan to help them out of their particular situation. 
And because of this standard, there was nearly no poverty in Israel. There was, in fact, a real balance of financial prosperity. Every seventh year and every 50th year, all these loans were canceled. Now, what do you suppose this symbolized? It symbolized our deliverance from our indebtedness. Who is our greatest creditor? To whom do we owe the most? To the Lord God Almighty. We owed him hell for our own sins, but the Lord Jesus Christ paid the hell we deserve. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus' dead and resurrection released us from our indebtedness. Release from indebtedness actually eventually becomes the term for forgiveness in the New Testament. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In the Lord's Prayer is a literal statement and it has spiritual implications. Lord, help us to be willing to forgive those who we owe. And help those brothers and sisters to whom we owe to be willing to forgive our debt because you have forgiven us our debts, our sins. This release from indebtedness in the year of the Jubilee was symbolic of the forgiveness of our sins, the release of our indebtedness to God. Now, there was another provision during the time of the Jubilee, and that was a prohibition of land cultivation. Just like every seventh year, every 50th year, you couldn't cultivate the land. You couldn't plow your fields. The fields had to actually lay fallow. They had to rest. You could not sow them. You couldn't prune your vines or harvest them for an entire year, every 50th year. Now that meant for the entire year, you had to trust the providing hand of Almighty God to sustain you. Remember, this was an agricultural economy. And here you were forbidden to grow or harvest crops. You had to fully trust in God's provision because you had to rest from your labor. That is why the Jubilee is called a Sabbath. Now, you had to do that every seventh year and every 50th year. You had to fully trust in God for all of your food. Now, that certainly had a tremendous effect on the discipline of the people of Israel. They knew that the seventh year and the fiftieth year would come, so they had to prepare for it. They had families to feed, so they had to work hard and they had to plan for the future. They couldn't just live for the present from year to year. The Hebrew calendar was God's way of making them future-oriented. Every seventh year, you still had to feed your family, but you couldn't grow any vegetables. And then the 50th year, that comes right after a Sabbath year, because the 40th year, 49th year is the seventh year, end of a seventh year period. You also couldn't plow your land. So there are two years now running when you are forbidden to grow anything in your gardens, and you've got to feed your family. So you better prepare over the previous 49 years. This required a real future orientation, a real discipline, a real planning for the future. 
in the lives of the people of Israel. So what is the principle behind this prohibition to not sow and harvest and prune your crops for that year? It was restful enjoyment of God's provision. It was a time of rest, a time of worship, a time of celebration, a time of spiritual renewal for what God had blessed you with, just like the Sabbath day today. When we read about these provisions of the year of Jubilee in the book of Leviticus, sometimes we quickly read over them and think that was some obsolete, outmoded institution of an ancient agrarian culture. But when you treat the Bible like that, beloved, and just give it a superficial once-over, you miss some of the most profound, most soul-satisfying, most practical truths of the Word of God. And it is because of that superficial, quick, hurried reading of the Bible that people today have such a truncated, unbalanced, insufficient understanding of salvation and what the Lord Jesus Christ came to accomplish. Now in Isaiah 61, which Jesus read in the synagogue, Isaiah takes as his background all these regulations from the year of Jubilee that I just spoke about with its release from indebtedness, its liberty to the slaves, its reverting a property back to its original owner, not allowing you to cultivate your field so you can rest in the Lord. And he takes these provisions and uses their underlying gospel principles and says the Lord is going to come to fulfill these things. The year of Jubilee, which came every 50 years in the Old Testament, was just a symbol and a shadow. The real jubilant year, the year of jubilation, the year of rejoicing, the era of joy and rest in God and renewal and transformation that the Old Testament simply pictured in these earthly material provisions will come in reality when the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, comes upon the scene of history at His birth. That is what Isaiah 61 is all about. Isaiah takes these underlining principles of the year of Jubilee and says all these things that are so earthly and so material and so symbolic are to teach us about the greatness and the comprehensive nature of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ brought to us when He came to earth at His birth. Now, notice the two emphases of Isaiah 61. They come right out of the Mosaic legislation of Leviticus 25. First of all, what does Isaiah say is going to take place when the Messiah comes? There is going to be social justice. Isaiah says, when the anointed one comes, he is going to bring social, economic, political, spiritual, moral, reversal of society. Everything. Everything is going to be changed. Nothing is going to remain the same. Now, you see, if you don't take the time to study the year of Jubilee, and you think it is an irrelevant part of Scripture, like talking about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen, then I guarantee all you will think the Lord Jesus Christ came to do was to save solitary individuals here and there from hell when they die. And the only important thing there is is going to heaven. 
That's what most Christians in America think, and that's why most Americans have an embarrassing, truncated, unbiblical view of the great salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ came to bring. The Lord Jesus Christ not only came to give us heaven when we die and save us from hell, He came to bring social justice to earth. He came to bring a comprehensive temporal as well as eternal salvation to reverse all society, the morals of our society, the spiritual structure of our society, economics, politics. Christ came to change it all, beloved. He's not going to leave anything the same. And when you become a Christian, those things start to come true in your life embryonically. And the more God's kingdom advances in the world through your efforts, the more you're going to see these things become more and more conspicuous all over the world. Turn with me to Proverbs 3 and you'll see what I mean by all of this. Everyone loves the book of Proverbs, right Skip? It presents us with such great spiritual truths. Well, I love the book of Proverbs because it presents us with comprehensive promises, both material and spiritual. So let's read the first 12 verses of chapter, chapter 3 and listen very carefully. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for... Length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thy heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. All right, now notice the command and the promise so far. The command is don't forget God's teaching. Bind them on your heart. Think about them. Meditate upon them. Embrace them. Allow them to govern your life and your thinking. And what will happen when you do? Verse 2. You're going to live longer. And you're going to have more peaceful life. Less hectic. Less stressful. And not only that, verse 4. You're going to have a good reputation in the sight of God and in the sight of man. Let's go on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel or body, and marrow to thy bones. All right. He tells us here, if you trust in the Lord and let him guide you, and let his word govern you, he will make your paths straight. He will guide you in this life and give you spiritual direction. And also, if you fear the Lord and turn away from evil, he will give you physical healing and refreshment to your bones. Beloved, yes, physical healing comes with obedience to the word of God. Honor the Lord with thy substance, wealth, and with the fruits of all thine increase. So you can go to heaven when you die? No. So all thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. If you honor the Lord with your wealth and every aspect of your life, the Bible says one of the blessings God pronounces upon his people corporately is that many of his people can expect to prosper financially, material, materially. You say, well, what about me? I'm not prospering financially. Well, all of us here are prospering financially more than we think. Just go to the Ukraine, beloved, where they make about $10 a month, and you'll see who's not prospering. Or take a trip to Haiti right now. 
But let's say you're not prospering for argument's sake. Verse 11. My son, despise not the teaching of the Lord. Neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father to a son in whom he delighteth. So one of the benefits, one of the benefits of serving God is that you get spanked. You get disciplined. You get reproved. You and I cannot pick our inheritance. These are just a few of the various things that God says belong to the inheritance of the people of God. We don't get to pick and choose. We get what God sees fit to pour out on us at any particular point in our life. But if we trust the Lord and are faithful to Him and keep His commandments in our heads and in our hearts, then we can know that the promises of God that He gives us, length of days, peace of life, spiritual guidance, good favor with God and men, financial prosperity, and also reproof, discipline, and chastisement will be ours. And whenever you complain and say, well, I haven't gotten that particular promise yet, and then you get mad or depressed and you say, that must not really be a promise then because I haven't received that one, you're just acting like a child. That's the way a child thinks. But keep in your mind, life isn't over yet. You say, well, I haven't got, I have gotten prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. I as yet haven't gotten any spanking from the Lord. Don't worry. Your life's not over yet. Or you say, I haven't gotten. All I have gotten is his spanking. Don't worry, beloved. Your life is not over yet. God is faithful to his word. You see, you go through Scripture like this in both the Old and the New Testament, and you see that the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ came to bring social justice. And it includes the making right of all wrongs. It includes reversing things in society so that evil people who are on top will someday be on the bottom. And righteous people who are not prospering will someday be on top of the heap. Remember, that's what Mary sang about. We spend so much time in Mary's Magnificat. So let me remind you of it from Luke 1, 51 through 53. And beloved, whatever you do when you read this, don't spiritualize it. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus, singing a song explaining the meaning of her son's birth. If you can spiritualize this and just say, well, she's just talking about spiritual things here then you have got to spiritualize the incarnation. And if you spiritualize the incarnation and say, well, it really didn't happen, then you are lost forever because your sin is real. And the punishment for your sin will be eternally real. Unless salvation is real, then we are lost. And salvation cannot be real if the Messiah is not real. So don't spiritualize this. Luke 1, 51. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty or rulers from their seats and exalted them of low degree. You see, Mary in good prophetic fashion is using the past tense to talk about future events as if they had already happened because, beloved, they are certain to happen because they were preordained by Almighty God. What Mary is saying here, is this is what my son is going to accomplish. Those people who are in political power now, rulers who are evil people, will be overthrown and replaced with humble, godly people. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. Those who are now millionaires and ungodly shall one day be poverty-stricken. And those who are now oppressed and poverty-stricken but love the Lord will experience wealth. We, brothers and sisters, will inherit the earth. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Now, the year of Jubilee is the background for all of this. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to put all of this into effect. He came to restore on earth, not just in heaven, but on earth, social justice and the total transformation of every area of life, social, physical, economic, spiritual, moral. As Isaiah said, he will rebuild our cities Isaiah says there will not only be social justice restored, but there will be a great restoration of the church. What did Isaiah say? He talks about the release for slaves, liberty to those who are captive, release to those who are in debt, release to those who lost their property. In other words, whenever the Jubilee took place, there was always a kind of national restoration that took place, a national revival, a national reformation, so to speak, where all of society was restored to its normal order again. And normalcy, beloved, is adhering to the Word of God. And all of the sinful ways of living that had crept in in fragmented culture and entangled people for 50 years were removed and society was brought back to normal, bowing down before God. There was a real restoration and reinvigoration of the whole nation every 50 years. And this symbolized the restoration of God's people in every area of life at the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was why the Lord Jesus Christ was brought to this world. Sin had brought reproach upon us and degraded us. But Christ restores our dignity. And that's why we as Christians must live with dignity, dignity of lifestyle and dignity of behavior. And whether you know it or not, beloved, that's rare in the church today. Christ came to give us liberty in the face of oppression, justice in the place of abuse, prosperity in the place of poverty, and overall health in the place of sickness and disease brought on by our sin. Beloved, we don't see all this all over the world yet, but we will, or at least our descendants will. God has promised his restoration. He has promised his restoration. He did it in Leviticus. He did it in Isaiah 61. And Jesus Christ promised it here in Luke 4. 
Jesus came to bring a comprehensive salvation to His created order, which began at His birth and will be experienced in the lives of His people. Christianity is not just an intellectual religion, although it is. Nor is it something you simply profess with your mouth. It is something that affects every aspect of your life here and beyond the grave. If you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, God saved you to reconstruct His created order. And He has empowered and equipped you to do it. Now stop complaining and go out and do it. The power is there and God has promised you victory. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 